Hey, everybody. This is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where that's what we've been chatting about, all these important topics for years now. I'm the author of the book, Common Sense Pregnancy. I'm a nurse. I'm a mother. I'm a longtime maternal health advocate. The thing is, while pregnancy and parenting are very similar all over the world, our cultures, healthcare, and politics change all the time. And so we keep talking so we can keep up. What's the same right now is that the world is continuing to come unhinged, and our president and his administration continue to blow my mind with what is being revealed as huge corruption. This week alone, we've learned more about Trump's tax fraud. We've watched as the Senate pushed through a Supreme Court nominee before Ruth Bader Ginsburg has even been buried. And we've listened to conflicting messages coming from the CDC about how to manage COVID, basic facts that we should be able to count on from scientists at this moment. Maybe we can't. COVID rates are rising. More people are getting sick and dying, and we're coming up on a big push by this administration to repeal the Affordable Care Act at a time when people need health care more than ever. I mean, that is what we are really, really seeing loud and clear is how fragile and broken our health care system is, that it cannot meet the needs of the people who live in this country. What a world. What can we do about it? We can vote. We can make calls to our members of Congress and tell them how we feel. We can help our friends and family to vote too. Unless we change leadership, it appears nothing will change. Until we have real policies that will stop the spread of COVID, we'll continue to see the disease spread. School and work will still be disrupted and we won't be back to whatever the new normal is any time in the reasonable foreseeable future. Now, I keep reading reports that if we did another shutdown and did it properly, the entire country, strict guidelines, masks mandatory for about 8 to 12 weeks, we'd eradicate the virus. We won't be getting that mandate from this administration, nor the financial support our country needs to deal with this problem correctly. So instead, we'll continue as we are. No plans, no idea when the virus will stop spreading, no clear path out of these scary woods. It's all up to us as individuals to do what we can. Please wear your mask whenever you're outside your home. Here in Portland, we're mostly pro-mask people, and yet even here, what I see are families walking around where maybe mom and the kids are masked up, but dad, no. Or I'll see a couple of guys running together and no masks or groups of boys and girls at the park and no masks. You know, I just, what's the problem? What's the deal with the masks? Do you think you're immune to the virus? Are you not concerned about getting it and spreading it? Do you just not care about the rest of it? Is it an ego thing? What's the deal? I seriously don't get why people are turning mask wearing into a political issue or one where you feel like, You know, people are talking about their rights being violated. It's just an item of clothing that protects us from your germs and protects you from ours. People who aren't wearing their masks, get over yourselves. Wear the damn mask. Okay, sorry, that was my lecture for the week. I put my mom voice on, didn't I? Um, 
We're going to talk more about current events and politics of the week, plus a little bit about asthma during pregnancy. California is still battling massive fires, and air quality is still hazardous for a lot of people in many areas of of the state. I had a tough time of it when our air quality was so horrible here in Portland a couple weeks back, and I wondered how it is for pregnant women. So we'll talk about that this week with our favorite midwife, Chris Beard. But first, we'll take a real, real quick break. Okay, we're back. Now, Chris Beard has been on the podcast many, many times, and I've invited her to join us on a monthly basis to talk about whatever's going on in the health world, the pregnancy world, whatever's on her mind or mine. So this week, since she and I are both deeply into the politics of our time, we'll talk about that and about asthma during pregnancy. So... Let's get Chris on the line. Hey, Chris, it's Jeannie. Hey, Jeannie. How are you? Good. It's good to have you back on the podcast. Thanks for showing up again and again and again. It's appreciated. Well, I I love being part of your podcast, so thank you for having me. It's always, and also, people just really love the valuable information that you give on the episodes where you're answering questions and talking about things in real time from the perspective of somebody who's probably just left the hospital. It's great. It's great. We love it. Yeah. Great. For So for the few listeners that don't know who you are yet, let's ask the question, who are you and what do you do? My name is Chris Beard. I am a nurse midwife in Portland, Oregon. I work for Kaiser Permanente, and I am a mother of two girls and two dogs. Hmm. Dog mom, too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you've been working for 25-something years doing deliveries? 27 years doing birth, and, well, 27 years since I graduated from my program, so technically I've been doing birth for probably closer to 30 since the program takes a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have worked in a small rural hospital with 25 beds for the hospital and two beds that were OB beds. The nurses used to draw straws to see who did OB. Mm-hmm. I have worked in a tertiary care center mm-hmm. with uh, NICU and medical residents, medical students, nursing students, the whole shebang. I worked in a private practice, which is where we um, met each other, private mm-hmm. practice with um, five other midwives. Mm-hmm. And now I work for a large HMO where midwives and physicians um, care for patients together on labor and delivery 24-7. When you mentioned the, the two-bed OB unit, the rural hospital, it reminded me of, I think it may have been my first, my first RN job. After graduating um, from nursing school, was in a little hospital that had four labor beds, and it wasn't rural. It was in the valley, but it was in the the far end of the San Fernando Valley. And I had to work the night shift. I had almost no training, and I also had to clean up the operating room when the surgeries were over. They didn't have enough staff at that hospital to even have a cleanup crew. I hated that job. I hated that job. <laughs> I didn't last very well, long. I moved on to a, a, a bigger, better facility. 
Well, I actually loved that job that I had in that rural hospital because I worked with an incredibly talented OBGYN who wanted me to learn and do everything I was interested in. Oh, so so I, it was an incredible opportunity. Although I have to tell you that now that I work in the big city with all the bells and whistles, I thank God for my angel or whoever was watching over me when I was a new grad working in that setting. Because I'll tell you, I was wet behind the ears. Oh, and, I was too. Um, so I feel very um, grateful that I had the learning opportunities that I did. But when I look back on it, it's kind of terrifying. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that training for labor and delivery nurses and midwives have come a long way. But especially, I mean, training for nurse midwives has been pretty um, structured and uh, very goal oriented. You get a specific license and you pass the boards. You get you get the right training for the job that you do. But um, up until maybe a couple of decades ago, labor and delivery nurses, we learned on the fly. They tossed you in and said, catch. And here's the mop to clean it up afterwards. And that was so scary because as you know, stuff happens. Stuff happens. And when you're so when you're so new, you're you're you don't know what you don't know. You're like young and dumb. Mm-hmm. And you don't you don't realize the bad stuff that can happen. I mean, you do, but you don't. Right. If you know what I mean. I mean, I just feel like, you know, I look back on some of those um situations that happened and I'm grateful for my training and I'm grateful that, you know, I was able to recognize things when they were truly emergencies and I could get help. Mm-hmm. But um it is it, it's really intense to think back on that job. Yeah. Yeah. Really I intense. feel for my patients that I had back then because I did not know how to take good care of them. You know, I could be compassionate and empathetic and I could do the best that I could do with what I had, but I did not know what I was doing in my early days. But over years and times and thousands of patients, I figured it out pretty darn well. <laughs> yeah. Well, I always like when you answer the who are you and what do you do question and you talk about camping in your family. Give me the update. Where you been? How are the girls? Well, my girls are good. I have one um, high school sophomore learning remotely from home. Mm-hmm. She seems to be doing well. And I have a college freshman who is also learning from home because she was set to attend a small liberal arts college that didn't feel like they could safely open with COVID. Mm-hmm. So she is online learning and it's been an interesting beginning of the school year, but I think they're both, I mean, we're like a month in, Mm -hmm. so they have settled into their routines. And, you know, for me, it's a little challenging because I really, I mean, I'm disappointed for my, for my older daughter. I mean, she didn't get a senior year. She didn't get a prom. She didn't get a graduation. And now she doesn't get that college experience that she was hoping for. And so I'm trying to be very, um, understanding and really support her growth as an adult. Yeah. And girl, that's hard. Oh, that's it's really hard, hard especially when they're in your house. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I find myself, you know, taking a lot of deep breaths and um excusing myself from the dinner table 
early pretty much every night just so that I don't um, say something I'm going to regret. Um, but I'm really proud of both my kids. They're, they're, they're rolling with the punches and doing exceptionally well. And what have we been doing lately for fun? So our last trip, which might have been before I talked to you the last time, was we went to Orcas Island mm. and Lopez Island in the San Juans. And, um, you know, those places are pretty magical. And we camped and visited friends and went out on a boat and um, just really swam in a couple lakes and just really enjoyed that sort of last uh, week before school started together. Mm. And my current, um, what I got on my current docket is that I'm hoping that I will have spring break off this year. And um, so I'm starting to plan our spring break trip, which is in March. And this year we're going to go to Joshua Tree. We've never been there. And um, I hear that it's also magic. So if you want to get a good campsite in the national parks, you've got to make reservations six months in advance. Yeah. So I am, I am making those reservations probably in the next day or so for a trip to Joshua tree in March. So that's what I've been up to. So I'm thinking back about, you know, your daughter is missing her freshman year, but you know, I've had a bunch of my kids go away to college now. And what I think that you're missing out on is the, huge perspective shift that you get on who your kid is when they've been a freshman in college for a couple of months and then they come home for the first time or you go out there and see them and you, and inevitably they're doing something that is just radically different from what they did at home like they got a tattoo or now they oh please lord <clears throat> or they oh let's see i had one kid who two months into um, college had heard about the evils of shampoo. So it was a no shampoo kit. Um, oh, a no poo kit. Uh-huh. A no poo kit. Yeah. Will, you know, just various things like that where they come back and they're like, yeah, this is me. I do my thing. And it's very, um, it's, it's really great for an adult parent because it really forces you to see them through different eyes, you know? Prior to them going off to college, most of us have lived with our kids, not all, not all parents, but, you know, we spend long chunks of time in their presence and we don't actually necessarily see them as individuals as much as you do when they've been away. So it's, I wish that for you. It's a little shocking sometimes, but it's also really delightful because you go, wow, check her out. She's great. (laughs) Love that girl. You just get to see them in a really different light. Well, I look forward to the time when I can do that. And, you know, when Dr. Fauci tells me that the vaccine is worth getting Mm -hmm. and that there is one, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm getting one. Mm -hmm. And so are my kids. Mm -hmm. But until then, you know, we're just kind of doing our, we are doing what we do. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And, you know. In terms of what COVID is doing for parenting, the direct connection to politics is very, very clear that unless we get some leadership that actually is based on science, is uh, specific, strategic, 
structured well so that everybody is following the same rules. There's no plan at this point for how to shut this virus down. So this is our future. There's no end point for as far in the future Mm -hmm. as we can see. Our kids could be Mm -hmm. spending next year at home too, unless we get new leadership, which, you know, every opportunity I can, it's get out the vote. I know you agree with me. I know you agree with me. (laughs) I do. Yeah. Yeah. I do. I do agree with you. Yeah. Well, you and I live here in Portland and we just got through the most horrendous smoke situation um, in our city where we literally had uh, air quality that was the worst in the world. We were like, so zero to 50 is healthy to breathe air quality. Ours was 569 at its worst. And it was pervasive in our homes. It was awful. And now that same situation is happening and with new wildfires in California. And it's been going on for months, up and down the whole West Coast. So we've got clear air now. However, it made me start thinking about what has been, what has this been like for pregnant women, especially pregnant women who have asthma? So I wanted to talk to you about what you're seeing in terms of smoke inhalation issues, air quality issues. But then I wanted to, we, I don't think we've ever talked about pregnancy and asthma on the podcast. Yeah. So what did you well, see? The, well, what I saw was that, you know, our hospital was in the level two evacuation zone. So we were very close to the fires. Um, the fires were all in, um, many of the fires were in Clackamas County and a lot of our staff, our nursing staff and medical assistant staff um, were affected by the fires and had to evacuate and move their horses and their animals. And um, so it, w- it, it was a very, you know, up close and personal impact at the fires. And in the clinics and in the hospital, you know, we shifted very quickly to only seeing people in person who needed to come in to keep people, you know, not, not leaving their, you know, even though there was smoke in your house, you know, certainly being outside was probably worse. A lot of people, you know, set up some sort of homegrown, homemade air filters with like a box fan mm-hmm. and a furnace filter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had many friends who were showing pictures of like after one day and it was just like black mm-hmm. and, and, you know, super filled with smoke particles. And you're just thinking, oh my God, I'm breathing that in. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, in terms of patient care for us, we shifted to um, back to virtual care, which is what we've been doing a lot of during COVID and only seeing people in person. Um, we, all of our NICU babies had to be evacuated, not only because of the smoke, but also because of the level two evacuation. So they just decided to preemptively move all the NICU babies to a hospital that was not in the level two zone. Um, one of my, several of my colleagues who worked in the hospital during the most intense part of the smoke said, you know, they could see visible smoke in the hallways, Mm -hmm. even though there were, there were those big, um, things going and, um, they were really trying to do whatever they could to scrub the air. And, you know, we're, we're all wearing N95s most of the time in the hospital, but those are, they don't necessarily keep the smoke out. So we had special, 
difference in 95 smoke respirator masks to wear when we were working. And in terms of patients, you know, patients are, are confined to their rooms during COVID. We're not allowing people to, you know, it used to be in the old days, we'd let people walk in the hallway and, you know, you'd see people laboring with their partners beside them or their doulas beside them. And, you know, just walking around our, you know, I, the circle, as I call it. Mm-hmm. And we're not doing that because of COVID. So, mm-hmm. you know, patients were in their rooms and I'm sure that the idea of, you know, giving birth, not only in a pandemic, but in literally, you know, air quality that's so hazardous, it's not even on the scale, you know, had to be scary for them. Yeah. And, um, you know, for people who have breathing issues, one of my, one of my colleagues has has a history of asthma but she hasn't had an asthma attack for over 20 years and she had an she had to use her inhaler multiple times during the evening of the first night of the smoke Mm -hmm. and so she actually had to call out sick because she wasn't able to I mean she and her husband did the box fan thing and got their air conditioner going backwards or whatever it is that you do to keep your air better and she had to be off of work because she didn't feel like she could open her front door and go outside and be in that air. So for patients who have asthma, you know, I would, I would imagine, I mean, I did none of my patients that I saw during that week were, were patients with asthma, but in general, when you have asthma in pregnancy, you know, how, how your asthma functions in pregnancy is really a function of how it was before pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So if your asthma is pretty well under control, most of the time in pregnancy, it's under control. But I would imagine that the smoke just throws that all to the wind, literally, because that's a whole different thing yeah. to add into your milieu, pregnancy, asthma, and smoke. Well, a lot, um, a lot of women have asthma, a lot, you know, just yeah, as part of their lot. baseline health. And, you know, <clears throat> excuse me. And that's before they get pregnant. So what, let's talk a little bit about asthma and pregnancy. How, how much does asthma impact a pregnancy? Let's say that the woman does not have it under control and she's using her, you know, maybe she doesn't even have inhalers. What about poorly so, managed asthma and pregnancy? What impact does that have? So poorly managed asthma and pregnancy is a bad combination. You know, women who have poorly managed asthma can have can be more at risk for preeclampsia, which your readers probably your listeners probably know is elevated blood pressure and kidney problems in pregnancy. They're more at risk for something called intrauterine growth restriction, which is called IUGR. And I'm fairly certain they're also more at risk for preterm labor if your asthma is not well controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, not to mention that if you have an asthma attack and it's a bad one, it's, it's bad for you, not just your pregnancy, but right. it's bad for you yeah. because your lungs are already, um, your, your body has already made the adaptations to carry a pregnancy, which means your lungs are at less capacity. Yeah. So if you have an asthma, if you have less lung to work with and then you have an asthma attack, that's a bad one, you know, it could, it could land you in the hospital. Where you have to get all that pesky asthma, asthma medication, which leads to the question, what about asthma medication during pregnancy? Is it safe? Well, 
a lot of the asthma medications have been around for years and years and years, and it is safe to use in pregnancy. Um, for people who need to be on, if their asthma is so bad that they're on steroids in pregnancy, you know, that's going to be managed by a perinatologist or a physician with a high level of experience with lung problems. That's not something I would manage as a midwife, mm -hmm. but you know, if you're, if you're just using an albuterol inhaler and you're using it a couple times a week, that's pretty well controlled asthma. You know, I told my patients, if you're using your inhaler more than twice a day, every day, we need to get you in to see somebody to see if there's a different routine that's going to be better for you mm -hmm. to help you stay healthy in your pregnancy. Yeah. But, you know, um, a lot of times people are worried about medications that they're on prior to pregnancy. And, you know, for those people who have the opportunity to call their primary care person or have a consultation before they become pregnant, asking about your current medicines for asthma, for psychiatric stuff, for diabetes, for, you know, all the various hypertension, for all the various things that people take medicine for is really ideal. But my advice to people is, unless you know that the medication that you're on is bad for pregnancy, that you should stay on it until you talk to your, whoever's going to provide your OB care. Yeah. So there are some, there are some medications for epilepsy and for seizure disorders, which are very bad in pregnancy. And, you know, people who are on those medications mm -hmm. usually know that, that, that that's a problem. Mm -hmm. But, you know, in general, you know, one of the things that I see is people go, oh, I didn't know if it was safe in pregnancy, so I went off. Mm -hmm. And the truth is, you know, um, most of us, most people want you to stay on your medications until you make contact with your OB provider. Don't self, don't take yourself off your medicines mm -hmm. because whatever health condition you're taking the medicines for is still a problem. And if you go off your medicines, that may be worse for you than the risk of the medicine. Yeah. That's good advice. That's smart. So how is the COVID situation in your practice right now? How are you feeling about it? Have things changed since we talked last month? Well, one thing that's changed is that I just got myself a fancy new, very expensive N95 mask that I will be able to wear all the time. That's really comfortable nice. that one of my other colleagues had. And so it's not going to be pulling on my ears and it's not going to be bruising my nose. And so it seems sort of crazy to be psyched about my new mask, but I am kind of psyched about my new mask. Um, I'm happy for you. Yeah. Yeah. Who knew? And, um, you know, our numbers in, in, in my facility are pretty stable. You know, we don't have a huge COVID infected population right now. And, um, so, you know, I have a couple patients who have had COVID and are recovering one who's not completely recovered, one who is completely recovered. Um, so I don't, I feel more, more, um, let's see, more calm about it myself. Like I'm not, I'm not as stressed out every day when I go to work mm -hmm. thinking, oh my God, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, my waiting room's going to be filled with COVID people and I'm going to get it and take it home to my family. And so I'm, I'm feeling less like that and more like, you know, I know what to do. I'm wearing my N95. I've got my whole go to work routine, my whole come home from work routine. Um, I, 
sanitize my desk. I sanitize my doorknobs. You know, I do all the stuff and it's just become a routine for me. And um, so I think, you know, our numbers are not rising at the moment, but that can change at any point. You know, one of the nice things about having, you know, a at-home college student is that I know she's not at risk for getting COVID. Yeah. Because she's not at increased risk. I, I think we're all at risk. I should clarify that. But, you know, colleges are kind of a hotbed for COVID right now. Yeah. And so I'm grateful not to have that to juggle with. It's a Petri dish. I mean, it's just a perfect storm of situations in college where, yeah, that's where it's going to run rampant. They're young adults, so they feel like, you know, they're immortal and that nothing's going to happen to them. They're many are experimenting with alcohol and, you know, maybe for the first time without a lot of supervision. And that really, you're not going to follow the rules. That's a fact. Yeah. It impacts your judgment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And during situations, they're close together. Right. And one of the great things about, you know, being a college student is going to parties and meeting people and you know, stretching yourself socially. And, you know, I'm telling you, they're probably not wearing a mask. No. At their frat party. No, they're looking cute. Boys and girls. They're looking cute. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Did you, are you, um, um, are you aware of the colleges and towns that are monitoring the sewage systems for where to expect the next COVID outbreak? No, I am not. Enlighten me. So, COVID is shed in your feces, I think, before you get symptoms. So there are several colleges in the U.S. One of them is Colgate, and one of them is University of Arizona, and there's probably many more, that are monitoring their group living situations, like particular dorms or sets of townhouses, for the, the COVID count in the sewer so that they can prepare for where the next where they're going to get their next few COVID cases or their next outbreak. Hmm. It's fascinating. The COVID in the sewage thing. This is amazing. So, um, yeah. And, it, so and it's I, on the I, list I, of jobs. I never want being yeah. one of the testers. I don't know. It's a, it's a microbiology job, it, but it might actually be interesting, but, um, I, I don't, I don't necessarily need that job either, <laughs> but, but I do have, um, you know, I have friends whose kids are at both of those institutions and it is comforting to them to know that the college or university is taking it upon themselves to do, to, to monitor the COVID in that, um, that place. Yeah. Yeah, it is small comforts. I'm grateful for them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So round this up to current events uh, and the, the pace at which life is happening in current events, it's, it's not even current anymore, but you and I have both been pretty devastated by the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And for me, she represented that women can live to their highest potentials throughout their entire lives, no matter their age or their health status or whatever. And she seemed like she used every gift she was given every day. And she had this huge life that included the highest level of professional ability and honor and a long, interesting marriage and motherhood and grandmotherhood and 
hobbies. She went to the theater and opera and art, and she worked out. I mean, she just had this incredible full life, and I loved looking up to her. Um, and then, of course, there's also all of the legal and political significance that has been written a lot about. But I was wondering, what did she mean to you? And how are you feeling about her loss? Well, I was devastated, as were most of my friends. I'm sure you got, I mean, I don't know how many texts I got within an hour of her death, but, you know, many, many, many. Mm-hmm. And they all said the same thing, which I can't say on your show. But um, Does it sound know, like duck? It does. <laughs> it sounds a lot like duck. Yeah. And so... You know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was someone that I only became aware of, like maybe in the last 10 years. Mm-hmm. You know, I think in there are times in your life when you're aware of you're aware of po- politics less and more. And, you know, I wasn't really that aware of her until the last probably five to 10 years. But, you know, she was one of those women that you're that you're just amazed at her life. And when you when you look at, you know, who she was and what she brought to the court. And what she really brought to the world for women, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah. And I think her loss, I mean, she was a giant. She was a giant in, in um, women's rights. She was a, a giant in healthcare rights. She was a giant in reproductive rights. Yeah. And, you know, she did it in a way that was not in your face, <laughs> which um, seems like it was the right approach for her, for her and for Mm -hmm. the time. And, you know, I look back on her time in the court and I feel like, you know, having a balanced Supreme court with, you know, roughly half conservatives and half liberals is appropriate. Mm -hmm. And as I look forward, you know, I'm, I'm heartbroken and deeply concerned that that is not what we're going to have. And it seems like, you know, the current president and his supporters in the Senate, um, you know, they have no shame and they are all about power. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is not news to anyone probably who listens to your podcast. It's not news to you, but, you know, the fact that it's her death occurred less than 45 days before the election. In fact, it's actually during the election because we have people who are voting early and voting by mail and they're trying to ram through a nomination where, you know, in 2016, you know, Antonin Scalia died 10 months before the election even started. And, you know, the Republicans very petulantly withheld that nomination. Right. And so I, I feel really angry about it. And I feel really upset for my daughters and I feel really upset for anyone who cares about unions, for anyone who cares about healthcare Mm -hmm. and for anyone who cares about reproductive justice. Yeah. Who are not just my daughters who are, you know, lots of people that you and I both know. So I, I'm, I am, um, you know, I realize that what we're, what we're looking towards is rule by the minority because over 60% of Americans do not believe that this Supreme court vacancy should be filled right, right now. They right. believe that, that, that whoever is 
whoever is elected the president should fill the vacancy. And if the current president is the person who's elected, then he can fill the vacancy. And if he is not elected, then it should be Joe Biden who fills the vacancy. And, you know, so to have such a large proportion of Americans who believe that and to have Mitch McConnell and the Republican senators and the current president not care about that and only care about the power that it gives them, you know, we're talking about minority rule. Yeah. It is not we the people if that's what if that's what they're going to do. And it's it's very upsetting to me as a person and I think um I think it's a bad thing. I do too. I do too. I think you said it beautifully. Well, what else do you want listeners to know? What else should we talk about? Uh, let's see in our last couple minutes um gosh i wish i would have made myself a list (laughs) well Um, we get to have you back on again next month so yeah well i guess i guess i just want to talk about some coping strategies and you know how do we in this time of turmoil and unrest and really some scary stuff going on. How do we take care of ourselves and how do we take care of our families and how do we ensure that we're not just a bundle of, you know, nerves? Yeah. How, how do you take care of yourself in this time? I mean, we've talked about this briefly on some other podcasts, but you know, have your strategies changed? What are you currently doing for yourself? You know, My strategies seem to be pretty much the same, but sometimes, you know, like even, so I, I walk daily. I'm a regular meditator. Excuse me. I structure my time so that I use it really well so that I, you know, I work hard and I rest hard. And those are things that are, they work for me. However, then we had that two week stretch where we couldn't walk. We couldn't go outside our houses because the air was so bad. So then you have to start looking at other ways to get rid of the energy. Um, and, and, and it's just been interesting. I don't think that I've found my complete sweet spot. And, you know, we're six, seven months into this now and I'm getting tired of it. So. Oh boy. So am I. Yeah. I'm still, um, you know, doing all of the things that I know that I need to do to take care of myself which, you know, as I mentioned before, the walking, the meditating, the structuring my time, prioritizing sleep. And then every weekend that I'm able to get outside, I go out somewhere in nature. It's just local, you know, someplace close, you know, maybe as far as the beach, but maybe just to a park or a trail somewhere so that I reconnect. And you? Well, my strategy has changed a little bit, um, and it's partially due to the change in the seasons and due to a couple conversations that I had um, with a dear friend who lives in Bend, who is a single mom, and she's a nurse practitioner, and she just turned 50 this year, and she, she just mentioned very casually in a conversation when we were talking about, you know, our kids, their life, or whatever. She said, you know, 
this is the year that I'm putting myself first. Mm. And I think, you know, as mothers, we often don't do that. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of shifted my um, sensibilities a little bit to say to myself, I really need to put myself first, which includes things like saying no to obligations that I really in the past might've been guilted into saying yes to, mm-hmm. um, you know, if someone asked me to do something and I just think, Oh God, I just don't want to do that. I say, you know, let me think about it and get back to you. Mm-hmm. And then I take a break and I say, do I really want to do that? Can I do that? Does this meet my needs of wanting to put myself first? So I'm trying to take a little more space and distance from some of the things I normally would have just said yes to in the past. Mm-hmm. And I'm, you know, I'm getting up early. I'm spending a little time. I wouldn't, I don't know if it's really meditating, but I'm spending a little time thinking about my day, thinking about my week, thinking about my next, thinking about my plan. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I take great pleasure in planning things like planning a vacation or planning a trip. And so that calms me, that brings me a sense of peace and calm. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm still trying to get out in nature as much as I can. And, you know, like you, most of the time right now it's close, but even, even just going out for a walk in my neighborhood, um, is, is lovely. And, you know, I'm enjoying watching the leaves turn and, Mm. and just getting outside. And, you know, I don't, I usually go by myself. I might take one of my dogs, but I'm not like on a walk conversing with someone. I'm just like ambling along in my own thoughts, Mm -hmm. doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing I'm trying to do more of is really just reach out to the people that are important to me. Mm -hmm. I really deeply appreciated it when I got multiple texts and phone calls from friends who live in other places when they had heard about our fires and our air quality, Mm -hmm. just checking in to see, how are you doing? Are you do you have everything you need? Are you guys in danger? You know, because we don't know how things look in the media, what, you know, to outsiders. Right. So, you know, I'm trying to make more, you know, have those meaningful conversations and meaningful connections. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a little bit of a shift for me to just, you know, I just feel a little bit more like being grounded is more important than ever. Yeah. Because, you know, these are tough times. These are tough times. These are, and you know, unfortunately, no one is coming to rescue us. No, we have to rescue ourselves. Yeah, which means that we're doing a lot of work that we wouldn't that we weren't doing a few years ago. You know, we're getting people registered to vote. We're having hard conversations with people in our lives about, well, you're registered, but are you going to vote? Mm-hmm. And have you thought about what your vote really means and and all that stuff? And that's that's some tiring stuff. Yeah, it is, but it's work we all have to do right now to save our lives. It it absolutely is and to save our planet. Yeah. 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 For sure. Well, for I sure. don't I don't want to um end our episode on a scary note. So you've been on the podcast so many times and I've asked you the rapid fire roundup questions probably a dozen times now. Do you want to answer them? Sure. Okay. What role does feminism play in your life? A pretty big one. You know, my job is uh, raising two women and taking care of women every single day that I'm working. And, you know, I do my very best to give women information so that they can make the decisions that empower them in their life. Good answer. 
How do you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Well, I've answered this the same many, many times. Nobody ever told me that politics would invade my life. <laughs> yeah. Good answer. All right. Our last question. Where do you stand in the world of motherhood? I feel like I'm in a really great spot in the world of motherhood right now because both of my kids are starting to spread their wings. They're thriving and I like who they are. Yeah. I love that spot. I'm there too. Yeah. 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 It's a great spot. And you know, most of your readers, some of readers, I say readers, I mean, listeners. some of your listeners mm -hmm. may not know, but my children are both adopted. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that I got to be their mom and be on this journey is just an ever, um, you know, it's something that I'm eternally grateful for. And I am, you know, I feel the privilege of being the mom to these young women. Mm -hmm. And I also feel the, um, the responsibility of that. Yeah. Yeah. Hard not to. Hard not to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right, Chris. Well, we'll have you back again next month. So we don't, we'll just say goodbye for now. Goodbye for now. Thanks for having me, Jeannie. It's always a pleasure. It's fun, huh? We'll talk it's next real month. Fun. Okay. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. That's it for this week, everybody. You can learn more about me, Jean Faulkner, at jeanfaulkner.com. You can email me, Jean at Jean Faulkner. And yes, I'll spell my name, J-E-A-N-N-E-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R.com. Uh, you can tweet me at Jean Faulkner and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Pregnancy Parenting and Politics. Pregnancy Parenting and Politics is produced by Recluse Records. We'll talk again next week, everybody. Bye-bye.